Section 9 of Sermons to Children by Sabine Baring Gould. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Sermon 9. Alexander and Rufus. Good Friday. St. Mark, chapter 15, verse 21. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. In Antwerp Cathedral is a very beautiful series of pictures of the passion and death of our blessed Lord, pictures full of feeling and thought. One of them represents our Lord bearing his cross on the way to Calvary, when Simon of Cyrene is met coming out of the country with his two boys, Alexander and Rufus, and he is compelled for a while to bear the cross and ease the shoulder of Jesus, galled by its great weight. After a while the cross is once more given to Christ to carry, and in the picture that follows we see the two boys looking with awestruck eyes at the pale face of Jesus, with the blood trickling down from the thorn-crowned temples. There is pity and trembling in the eyes and on the lips of the lads, mingled with curiosity. The next picture represents Christ falling beneath his cross, and a soldier has a rope raised with which to strike him, and there is little red-headed Rufus, unable to bear the sight, bursting into tears and hiding his face on his brother's breast. Simon, who bare the cross for Christ, was of Cyrene, which is in northern Africa. He it is, in all probability, who occurs again in the Acts of the Apostles as one of the teachers of the Church of Antioch. Simon that was called Niger, and associated with him was a countryman, Lucius of Cyrene. He was called Niger, no doubt, on account of his dark complexion, Perhaps he may have had black blood in his veins, or he may only have been darkened by the burning African sun. He who bore the cross was a well-known man in the early church, for he is named by St. Matthew, St. Mark, and St. Luke. St. Mark adds that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus, I believe for this reason. St. Matthew only mentioned Simon, because Simon alone was known to the church in Palestine as a teacher at Antioch and St. Matthew's Gospel was written for the church in the Holy Land. But the Gospel of St. Mark was written for Gentile believers, and old authorities tell us, at Rome, for the Roman Christians. Now the church at Rome, of course, did not know Simon, but probably did know of Alexander and Rufus, his sons. And I suppose this is why St. Mark inserted these words. It was as much as saying, that Simon, who bore the cross, was the father of those two men now laboring for the gospel among you, whose zeal and patience ye so well know. If we turn to St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, we find that among those he greets at Rome is Rufus, whom he speaks of as chosen in the Lord, and he sends his loving salutation both to him and to his mother, whom he affectionately terms mine, that is, whom I look upon with as much tenderness as if she were mine own mother. It is probable that when St. Paul wrote this letter, some thirty-three years after Christ's death, old Simon the Cyrenian was dead, and Rufus was living with his mother at Rome. About sixteen years before, St. Paul had been a teacher along with Simon the Black and Lucius of Cyrene at Antioch, and it is possible that he may have lodged there with Simon, and so got attached to the mother of Alexander and Rufus, having there felt her motherly kindness. Of Alexander we know nothing. He is not mentioned in the epistles of St. Paul, nor in the Acts. Alexander, who with Hymenaeus deserted St. Paul, cannot have been he, for this Alexander was a Jew of Ephesus, and is conjectured to have been the same as Alexander the coppersmith, 
who did much evil to the apostle. Alexander was a very common name. There are many early martyrs of that name, some at Rome, and it is quite possible that he may have been one of them. If these two boys, Alexander and Rufus, really were present when Christ passed through the street on the way to Calvary, bearing his cross, we may well believe that the scene produced a lively and indelible impression on their young hearts. How many children there must have been on that good Friday in the street! How many who saw Christ brought out by Pilate and exposed to the derision of the people, with the purple robe cast over his shoulders, the reed in his hands, the thorns about his brow, and heard him proclaimed as the man! How many ran and crowded about the procession as it drew its sorrowful way to the place of execution! How many saw Jesus fall beneath the cross, saw him comfort the weeping women, saw him climb the slope of Calvary, and even watched the driving in of the nails and the lifting up of the cross. What effect was produced on them? We can partly tell. Some were hardened by the cruel sight. Others were softened. They grew up to be men and women, and I doubt not that among the early believers added to the church there were many who had received the first deep impression on that eventful day when they were children. It was a day to leave a lasting recollection. There was first the tumult outside the judgment hall, and the roar of angry voices choosing Barabbas and clamoring for Christ to be crucified. No doubt that must have shocked and surprised some of the children. They had known of Barabbas, that he was a murderer. They knew Christ, who had drawn little children about him, and forbidden his disciples when they sought to keep them off. Children always know those who love them, and cluster round them, so it must have been with Christ. They used to crowd about him, and put their little hands into his, whenever they could get near him. They knew him to be gentle and loving, and now they saw an act of flagrant injustice committed before their eyes. The murderer was let out of prison, and allowed to go his way, and the just one was led forth to death. Children never forget an injustice. You may depend upon it, many a little one remembered the choice of Barabbas, and it was the starting point of his conversion to the faith of Christ. Then there was the procession through the streets, first the herald with a trumpet, proclaiming the accusation and sentence, then Christ with the cross, among the brutal soldiers, heedless of his weakness and sufferings, then the weeping women, and around and behind, a mixed rabble of jeering Jews. Also, when Christ had been crucified, there came on the great darkness in the middle of the day, and after that the earthquake, the rocks rent, and the graves opened, and the temple veil was rent. Do you not think that the children would associate these events with what had gone before? I do. Perhaps after they had seen Christ go through the streets to his death, they were called away by their parents, or by their master to school. I do not suppose that those who had good homes were allowed to run out to Calvary and see the horrible execution going on there. Their fathers and mothers would not allow it. Only disorderly boys, and truants from school, and those who had no parents to control them would follow up the hill, out of the city gate, and wait to see the end. They, no doubt, would join their shrill voices with the mocking words of the Jewish men, and their insulting gestures with the revilings and waggings of heads of the baser set who passed under the cross. All the children who had thoughtful, decent parents were called off the girls to attend to needlework or tidying the house, for it was morning, and the boys were sent to school. Then, whilst the girls were dusting or sewing, and the boys riding, 
gradually a shadow crept over the sun and it fell dark darker than night for the stars appeared not it was deep pitch black night in the middle of the day the girls and boys ceased from their work and sat frightened and silent the darkness lasted three hours from the sixth to the ninth hour that is from midday to three o'clock in the afternoon just when the boys were about to put down their pens and close their books and sally forth from school the blackness came on and arrested them they did not dare to stir it was like the darkness that fell on egypt no power of the fire might give them light neither could the bright flames of the stars endure to lighten that horrible night so then whosoever there fell down was straightly kept shut up in a prison without iron bars for whether he were husbandman or shepherd or laborer in the field he was overtaken and endured that necessity which could not be avoided for they were all bound with one chain of darkness wisdom chapter seventeen verses five to seventeen then in that awful darkness the earth shivered and the rocks broke asunder and there was heard on all sides the crash of falling stones you have never perhaps heard the sound of an earthquake or felt one there is nothing so startling first a strange rolling rumbling sound like the passage of heavy wagons beneath in the heart of the earth then the ground rocks under the feet and immediately after comes the crash of walls and chimneys and roofs shaken down by the shock now imagine this in the pitch blackness of that night in the midst of the day verily that good friday was a day to be remembered through life well my children what effect does good friday produce on you you do not indeed see the sights that met the eyes of those children but nevertheless the events of that day are brought vividly home to you every year the death of christ is shown to you you hear about it and have the events impressed on you do they at all touch your hearts and lead you to become a devout follower of christ as i suppose was the case with alexander and rufus and many other children present in the street on that first good friday or do they only make you indifferent or hard passion tide must produce one or other result good friday every year must leave you better or worse better if your hearts have been made by it more tender to christ more loving more resolved more earnest worse if the story of the cross leaves you indifferent careless thoughtless without pity for the pangs of jesus without regard for anything but your own amusements end of section nine